Our first reading is Genesis chapter 40, uh, verses 1 to 23. It's at page 44 of your Red Bibles. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Our second reading is Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 43, uh, and it starts on page 45 of the Red Bibles. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. 
and the cows who were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven healthy, full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you, but when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the lands of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. 
but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took up his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Thank you, Chen, very much indeed. It's great to see you here. Welcome uh, to you, particularly if you're new. It's great to have you with us here at Trinity Church, Islington. Uh, just as we start, um, uh, congratulations to Patrick and Selena. I don't know whether you know they got safely married in here yesterday. And uh, they might be watching on the, on the live stream. I don't know whether they are or not, but many congratulations to them. And uh, I also know that um, a number of people have gone down with flu and uh, COVID over the last couple of days, and a number of people, including Chen, have stepped in at the last minute. So thank you very much indeed to people who are covering today. That's hugely appreciated. Well, we're coming to Genesis chapter 40 and 41 as we look at this um, extended story of Joseph in the, in the book of Genesis. And uh, just as we enjoy this brief time in our week to concentrate in on God's word, why don't we pray that God would use it for our benefit? Let's pray. Father God, we've already sung that your truth alone can bring comfort when we're in distress. So I pray, Father God, that whatever anxieties, uh, whatever distress... Uh, we might be experiencing whatever pressure we might be feeling, that we would know the comfort um, this Sunday afternoon that comes from the gospel of your Son. Now please speak to us of Jesus, Father. Uh, we ask in his name. Amen. Uh, well, I don't know... Um, <laughs> James... Uh, I don't know what you make of, of saviour figures. 
don't know what, what you think of that sort of idea. Saviors, people who save you from some situation, uh, like Superman. Did, did you actually know that today is Worldwide Superman Day? That's actually true. Uh, 12th of, it's the 12th of June every year, according to DC Entertainment. It's the day we remember the, um, the Man of Steel, whose middle name is actually Joseph, but we won't draw that connection. How, how do you feel about saviors? about that idea of, of being saved. I mean, on the one hand, maybe you support a, a, a you know, dodgy football team like mine, and, uh, and you need one of those saviour managers, who, manager who's going to come in and sa- save you from relegation. Maybe you've uh, experienced that head teacher who comes in and saves a, a school from, from closure, that kind of thing. Sometimes we need saviours. On the other hand, sometimes we can be a bit cynical about saviours, actually. Um, you probably know the, the comic relief got into trouble for sending white saviors, do you remember, to, uh, to Africa. You might get a bit tired of Superman saving in to, you know, sort of flying in to save the day all over again. Maybe we're a bit cynical about the idea of people who are always saving others. Well, the book of Genesis says in uh, chapter 37 to, to, to 50 that Joseph has been sent as a saviour. Um, turn over with me to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Nathan's already shown us that as he's taken us through the first few chapters of, of the account. But turn with me to Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. It's on page 57 of these Bibles. And uh, you'll see that, that verse which I've highlighted in blue on the screen. Joseph is talking to his brothers and, and he says this to his brothers. And it's really a summary of where these chaps are going. He says, you intended to harm me. Uh, That's certainly true. But God intended it for good. God is so powerful that he can use people's mistakes. I think that's one of the most extraordinary things you can say about the God of the universe. He is so sovereign, so powerful, that he can use our mistakes. I'm very grateful that God can use my mistakes because he'd have very little else to go on, really, uh, if he wanted to use me in any way at all. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. Joseph is a savior, but he's no superman. He doesn't fly sort of uh, 200 feet above, above trouble. We followed him through the last 10 years of his life so far. I don't know where you've been uh, over the last 10 years. You get those notifications from Facebook, a memory from from 10 years ago, and uh, you're surprised how how young you looked back in 2012, pre-pandemic. We followed um, Joseph for 10 years of his life, and we've seen his dreams about stars and sheaves of corn. Do you remember that's how it all started when he was just 17? And then his brothers hated him so much that they faked his death, and then he got sold into slavery and, and deported into Egypt. And then uh, he was assaulted by Potiphar's wife. You remember he was held responsible for that, what we nowadays would call victim blaming. And then he ends up in prison. And now he's 27. Same age as some of you, I guess. 27 years old. Joseph is a savior, uh, but he's no superman. In fact, he's the saviour that no one wants. Do you notice that? He's the saviour who everyone rejects. It's so perverse, isn't it, to reject your saviour. It's like shooting down the rescue helicopter. 
And yet God's saviors are always treated in that way, the Bible teaches us. Even the saviour Jesus Christ who God sends, is, um, he's despised and rejected, isn't he? And so it's so hard to read what Joseph goes through in chapter 40. Turn back to that chapter 40. We'll just look at it briefly. It's so hard to read of Joseph's experience, isn't it, in that part of the Bible. Chapter 40. In fact, verse 15 of chapter 40 is Joseph's sort of 10-year review. Okay, this is him looking back on 10 years of his life. Have a look at chapter 40, verse 15. I put it up on the screen as well. This is what Jesus said. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. In fact, that, that word for dungeon is the word for a sort of pit or a cistern, which is exactly the same word that was used for the pit that Joseph was thrown into by his brothers. So really, the last 10 years has been a journey from one pit to another pit. That's what he's saying. Maybe you feel a bit of, maybe you feel a sense of injustice. Maybe you're angry with God for the way that the last 10 years of, of your life have worked out. Wouldn't be surprised if there's some people here like that. And then, um, just to make things harder, he's given a, a glimmer of hope, you see, when, when he, he's able to interpret the dream of the cupbearer. And uh, this could be his chance to, uh, to, uh, to be remembered to, to Pharaoh. could be his chance at, at justice, but the chief cupbearer, chapter 40, verse 23, uh, forgets him forgets him. Can you imagine every time Joseph hears the footsteps coming up to his door in the prison, he thinks, maybe this is the person who's come to, come to set me free. Um, false hope. False hope. Can you imagine what it does to a man? Um, I've got a friend, uh, one of my best friends, I can't give you all the details, but um, struggling away in a tiny church. Um, he's uh, got arthritis, his eyesight's going, having difficulties with his family. And, and, and every time it seems like the church is just getting going, getting some traction in the local community, uh, and then a, a key helper in his congregation dies. I think he's done five funerals for people in his, um, in his congregation. A key family moves away. It's that false hope that kills you, you know, after a while, if you're not careful. But I'm going to suggest that this is how God prepares the people that he wants to work through. God prepares the people that he wants to work through through suffering. I guess you probably already know that, don't you? That the best people at church to talk to are the people who've suffered the most. That's often true, isn't it? And the saviors that God chooses are no exception. And Joseph suffers so that um, when his fortunes change in, in chapter 41... And everything starts to look a lot better, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and becomes the second in command in Egypt. God has prepared him through suffering to become the savior that he wants. Let me take you um, through chapter 41 then and show you three ways briefly that, that God's savior, once he has suffered, is used in God's plans. Three ways. And, and the first is this. God's saviour 
humbly tells the future. God's Saviour humbly tells the future. Verses 1 to 32 of chapter 41. So have a look down at, at chapter 41. When two full years had passed, that's another two years where Joseph is, is, in, the, is in the pit, he's waiting for someone to come and, and knock on his cell door. When two full years had passed, two years in which, in which God is preparing this plan for, for Joseph, unbeknown to him, Pharaoh had a dream. Uh, two dreams, in fact, one about cows and one about ears of corn. George read those out to us earlier on. And so Joseph, you see, uh, chapter 41, verse 14, is quickly given a, a, a big razor and an old suit and tie, and, and he finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh all of a sudden. But notice, and notice what Pharaoh, uh, notice what Joseph says. First up, he says that he can't interpret dreams. Uh, quite clear about that. Verse 16, have a look down at that. Really emphatic in the original language. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. Verse 16. He can't do it. Uh, we can't predict the future. None of us. No one knows what's going to happen. You know, crashes in the financial world, COVID in, in the medical world. We didn't see them coming. We can't predict the future. That's not something that any of us can do. Um, I, I, um, I cut and pasted Pharaoh's dreams into a dream interpretation website. So you can go to dreamstime.com, uh, which says that it can says it can interpret your dreams. So I thought it was worth a shot. So I, uh, I took Pharaoh's dreams and I cut and pasted them into the search box. And uh, you know what it suggested? It said a skeletal cow means that Pharaoh's mother was displaying a lack of emotions but a field of corn indicated that there was domestic bliss and harmony ahead. I don't think that's, that's not a great. It doesn't, it, we can't tell the future. We can't interpret dreams. Chase is very clear about that. We can't do it on our own. But notice that Joseph says who can interpret dreams. And he says it several times um, down in verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires verse 16, or, or verse 25 in the right-hand column. Have a look down at that. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. All right, turn the page. Um, verse 28. Um, it is just as I said to Pharaoh. Have you got that? Verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh... God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Well, verse 32, Joseph is so insistent, he won't let this point drop. Verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And God's talking about his plans. It turns out the whole dream about cows and, uh, and, and corn was nothing to do with uh, a lack of love from Pharaoh's mother. It was, it was, it was a long-range forecast, huge weather forecast, seven years of massive harvest and then seven years of, of miserly crops. But the point is a simple one, really, and this is the one that Joseph wants to make, Joseph the Savior, that the, the future is controlled by God. The future is controlled by God. 
Um, that, that was a key turning point in Dawn's mum becoming a Christian. I don't know if uh, uh, Dawn's my wife, um, and my mother-in-law uh, and Dawn and I were all sitting in, a, uh, in, in the tea shop, in the WRVS tea shop in Worthing Hospital. Um, not a particularly glamorous setting. Um, but she'd just been diagnosed with a, a late-stage brain tumour. Um, she'd been told by the consultant that she wasn't going to live very long, um, that it was inoperable. And uh, she sat, and not someone who calls herself a Christian at all, very angry of God. Um, and for the first time in her life, she um, sat in that tea shop, and she said, I, I, well, she, the way she put it was, um, I feel like my life is in God's hands. And for the first time in her life, she realized that the future belonged to God. It didn't belong to her. The future belongs to God, that God knew her future. And that was the first step on her journey to faith in, in Jesus Christ. That the future is a simple thing in, in many ways. And we worry so much about the future, don't we? So much of our time is spent anxious about the future because it just feels so out of control and we're used to being in a society where we can control lots of things and so we don't like something that's outside of our control that's why there's so much comfort in knowing that the future belongs to God genuine comfort yeah, there's, there's, there's someone in charge and the future is full of things that he's going to do and he loves to tell us about his big plans through his saviour if only we will listen. You know, the, the point is, is not that, that we're going to have dreams that will tell us uh, about the things that are going to happen day by day. Um, that's often not the way that, that, that God deals with this. That's to miss the point, I think. The, the point is to listen to, to what God's Saviour is telling us about the future. And to listen hard. He is, he is the futurologist. Can I put it like that? And perhaps you're new to Christian things. Perhaps you're not a, not a Christian. It's fantastic to see you here. I'm really glad you've come to church. It's a courageous thing to do. And Jesus promises you something. That, it, that amongst all those sort of predictions and the horoscopes and the prophecies, Jesus promises that your future is safe with him. And, and, and that can give you a, a new confidence. This is a real experience. Uh, to know that, that after you die, if you're someone who trusts in him, that your future with him is absolutely secure. And, and like Dawn's mum, you can discover that your life is in, is in God's hands. Maybe this is a week where you need to find out more about that. Please don't leave this afternoon if, that, if that's not saying with which you're familiar. He's, he's promised that he's paid with his own life to keep your future safe. God's Saviour humbly tells us the future. But that's not all we're learning. As we look at this Saviour Joseph and, and learn about the Saviour Jesus, let me tell you a second thing as well. God's Saviour courageously rules over everything. God's Saviour courageously rules over everything. You know, once, um, once Joseph has told Pharaoh that the future, he sort of explains to him what the next um, 14 years is going to be like, then he has this, um, has this crazy promotion to power. Uh, he goes from criminal to king, all in one massive leap. Uh, quite a day, I, I should imagine. 
uh, for him. It would make great TV, wouldn't it? Can you imagine uh, the sort of rags to, rags to riches story? Uh, he's got the jewelry, he's got the bling, you know, like in all those Egyptian sort of tomb paintings. He's got all the, all the necklaces and the gold chains and the, and the signet ring. He's got the, the suit of office. The, the Bible actually borrows a word from Egyptian, which means sort of super fine linen, uh, the best that you can find. And, and verse 43, um, his chariot is like the sort of Rolls-Royce phantom drophead coupe of the sort of 5th century BC, whenever it is. And, and, and if compare it with his backstory. I mean, Joseph's brother and Pharaoh's wife have tried to forcibly take his coat, and now he's, now he's having robes of state put onto him. And then originally he was left in a pit, and now he finds himself in a palace. And um, once he might have seen... 11 stars, you might have seen in a dream, 11 stars bowing down to him. We'll come back to that dream in a few weeks. But now he's got people lining the streets on their faces. 30 years old. Verse 43. 30 years old. And he's ruling the world. But notice the courage as well that he shows as, as, he, as he gets there. Courage that he's learned through suffering. Um, he's not afraid to speak truth to power. Uh, Pharaoh, you might know in, in the ancient world, is the god of fertility. He makes the crops grow. Joseph says, you can't do this, Pharaoh. You can't do this. You need to listen to the god of the Bible. And then you need to appoint commissioners to take a fifth of the harvest, verse 34, and then you need to set up what I understand is a sort of ancient hedge fund. Is that right? The country's going to be ruined, Pharaoh, unless you do that. And he's not afraid to say that to Pharaoh. And then, of course, he's able to pitch for a job. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Particularly when Pharaoh's just um, uh, lifted up someone's head. It, it's, did you notice that when George was reading it? Nasty sort of um, double meaning to having your head lifted up. It means either being brought back to your job or having your head lifted up so it can be, so it can be chopped off. But Joseph can pitch for a job. Central character in this account is the biggest brass neck you've ever seen. He, he knows that God has fixed the future, but that doesn't make him passive. He doesn't just sit back. Uh, he's just told the meaning of Pharaoh's dream. And, and then he says, now... You need to look for someone discerning. Um, is his courage? He's sort of suggesting himself there. He courageously rules over everything. So how are we to feel about God's Saviour, Jesus Christ? You know all those um, office politics and power games, all those arguments and, and bid for influence... There's a simplicity in acknowledging that, that God's Saviour is the ruler. Let Jesus rule you. Bow down to him. What will that look like? Well, maybe there's a decision that you've, you've got to make this week. Ask him to lead you. And the priorities we put on our time. I think it's the big one for us, the way we use our time. You know, it's possible to say no to your boss so that you can say Yes, to spending more time with Jesus. That's possible. 
in our church, spending time praising Jesus as, as our King. It's so easy to let the words wash over you. Do you find that? Or just sort of enjoy the tune or listen to the piano. Um, we're going to sing these words. Christ our King forevermore in the final song. We need to ask ourselves how much we mean that. He, he rules the world. He, he went courageously to the cross and God has appointed him, Lord. Let him rule you. And then finally, acknowledge all that he provides. Because God's saviour generously provides for the whole world in this part of, um, in this part of Genesis. Have a look down at those end verses uh, in chapter 41, verses 53 to 57. Joseph's scheme is just sort of breathtaking in its scale. Can you imagine the government owning all of the food in your country? Um, extraordinary power that he has. They've silos full of grain stored up for the, for the years of food insecurity. So that who can be fed? Well, have a look down at verse 57. Verse 57. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe, literally, in all the world. It's funny, in one sense, God is um, fulfilling uh, another dream that was given to Joseph's great-grandfather, um, Abraham. If you've been coming on Tuesday nights, you'll know that Abraham is promised that through him all nations on earth are going to be blessed. And here we have one of his descendants at the other end of the book of Genesis uh, sent on ahead into Egypt to prepare massive storehouses. So Abraham's family gets there in time to, to save the world. One godly Israelite providing grain and, and blessing for every nation on earth. God's saviour come to bring food and life. It'd be so easy, wouldn't it, to take these chapters the wrong way, to, to ask for a dream and, and, to, and to know more about, about our short-term future, to expect a, a sort of rags-to-riches rags riches story in, in, in our own lives, to expect God to give me all the food I need. But God works through saviors. He works through saviors, saviors who suffer. And the greatest saviour that he sends is his own son, who, who, who suffers alongside us. He's the rejected saviour, Jesus Christ. And he humbly tells us the future, that, that, that he will keep safe every single person who comes to him. And he courageously rules the world. Our week ahead is designed to be lived in, in submission to him. And then he generously provides for God's world. Do you remember the words of Jesus? What does he say? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. Now it's his body that he's giving as a self-sacrifice. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's the futurologist. He's the ruler. He's the bread provider. And so can, can you imagine, let's pray for this. Can you imagine people coming from all over the world to, to London to hear about this bread that he provides? And, and when they meet the bread of life, Jesus Christ, maybe here at Trinity, maybe with Joe and Sunny, 
in, in Kensington. When they meet the bread of life, to bow down to him in worship. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you that you love to work through suffering saviors. Thank you for the way that Joseph is able to show Pharaoh that you interpret the future, you interpret dreams, you know the future, what's going to happen in your world. Thank you that Joseph becomes the saviour who courageously rules. Thank you that he is the one who provides for the world. And we see in him, Father, a picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, that we would come to him, the, the one who knows the future, the ruler, the bread provider. And as we trust him, we would find all that we need in him. We will bow down to him in worship. That We could ask him to rule over our lives. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.